Is that camera on? Three, two, one, and action. Hail Caesar. I don't know why you have me here. I've already told Caesar Tiberius's inquisitors everything I know. I'm a military man, not some kind of religious scholar. I don't know why things happened the way they happened. I was just doing what I thought Rome would want me to do. That's my job. As the governor of Judea, I keep the peace, I command the military, I collect taxes, and I enforce Roman law. That's a big deal anyways. I've crucified hundreds of criminals before this. What's so special about this one? (laughs) I guess I'll start at the beginning, even though I know you've heard this account before. His name was Jesus, and he was the son of a carpenter from Galilee. We had been watching him for a while because he had this uncanny ability to gather crowds. I don't like crowds. In my experience, crowds turn into riots, and riots turn into rebellions. And as long as I'm governor, rebellions turn into slaughters. That's what happened to those Galileans before Jesus. They got a little too carried away in their worship during a Passover celebration and started talking about this king that was going to come and and free them from Roman occupation. So I sent my men to cut them down where they stood. Jews didn't like that, but it was necessary. That's what I do. What's necessary? Some people might say I'm brutal, mean even. But that's what it takes to rule over these Jews. They are a troublesome people. Always causing trouble. Always talking about this king, this Messiah they call him, who's going to come and overthrow Rome, overthrow Caesar. (laughs) I'd like to see him try. They think they're better than us. The people that we occupy, the people who haven't had their own nation in some 500 years think they're somehow clean and we're unclean. Ridiculous, right? They won't even spend time in our homes or eat meals with us because to do so would cause them to be unclean and then they'd have to not do their feasts and not be around other Jewish people for like eight days or something like that. I don't... I don't know the specifics. I told you I'm not a religious man. Plus their customs and laws. There's so many of them and they're so crazy. And they won't even, they won't just worship our gods with their gods. They think theirs is the only one. Crazy, right? Ridiculous. These Jews, they're a troublesome people. That's why I have to rule them with an iron fist. Otherwise, things will get out of control. And as long as I'm in charge, things never get out of control. That's what people think when they hear the name Pontius Pilate. Order, control, rule of law. 
Hail Caesar. So we had been following Jesus and watching him. He gathered crowds. I don't like crowds. But my men said these were the peaceful kind of crowds. They just sat on the grass and listened to Jesus teach for hours on end. Most of my men didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. But the people seemed to enjoy it. And some of my men did take a liking to Jesus. They said he could do some kind of sorcery. That he, he could heal some people. That a couple times he actually multiplied rations for the crowd as he taught longer and longer and longer. I even had a centurion who started to talk about Jesus like he was some sort of God or something. My centurion had gone to Jesus to get his servant healed. He was paralyzed. And Jesus had said he would do it. He would go to my centurion's house and heal the servant. But my centurion had said, no, 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 I'm not worthy to have you in my house. Just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. That had impressed Jesus. And he had done it. He said the word, and my centurion reported that his servant was healed in that moment. I don't know if it's true or not. Probably some kind of coincidence, right? I have told that particular centurion that he needs to not be so emotional. Needs to be more logical, controlled, ordered, like me. But I didn't care if he worshipped Jesus as some god, as long as it didn't interfere with his duties. Of course, I wouldn't do that. I'm never going to get involved with these Jews' religious affairs. I'm a military man. I like things nice and neat, separate, clean. So we had been watching Jesus, but honestly, we didn't find any issues with him. Although he had many chances to speak out against Rome and speak out against Caesar, he never did it. My men said he never did it. I even had my tax collectors tell me that he paid his taxes. Although one time he did pay his taxes in kind of an odd way. He sent a fisherman to go catch a fish and said there would be enough money in it for the taxes. And apparently, sure enough, he pulled the fish in, opened its mouth, and there was a coin in there. And just enough for Jesus's and this fisherman's tax debt. How did he pull that off? I have no idea. Maybe the fishermen were in on it. Maybe he put the coin in there ahead of time. Maybe it was sorcery. I don't know. But it made for a good story that night over dinner with my wife. Jesus had all these opportunities to speak out against Rome, to cause problems, to start a movement and a rebellion. But he never did. There's this one time where his religious leaders were actually challenging him on paying tribute to Caesar. And instead of speaking out against Caesar, Jesus just said, hey, everybody, pull out a denarius coin. And they pulled it out and Jesus just said, whose inscription, whose likeness is on this coin? Everybody said Caesar's. I loved what Jesus said next, or my men said that he said. He said, then render to Caesar's, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render to God 
the things that are God's. I like that. Keep things separate. No reason to let religion interfere with real life. No reason to let their religion cause problems for Rome. I mean, if Jesus was a troublemaker, why would he say that? If he wanted to start a rebellion, why would he say that? I started to realize that these pompous religious leaders just didn't like Jesus because he was gathering so much influence over the people. He was stealing their power over the people, and they were freaking out about it. I thought it was funny to watch them scramble and scheme. They were so mad, so angry, so affronted, like little boys who had had their toys taken from them. They were ridiculous. I don't know how much detail you want in this story. I've already told Caesar everything. I'm a military man, not a religious man. I don't know why things happen the way they've happened. Most of it happened in Galilee anyways, where Herod is tetrarch. If anybody's to blame, it's probably Herod. Did he say that I was to blame? Is that why I'm here today? Okay, well then I'll tell you the rest of the story. And by the end of this thing, you'll know without a shadow of a doubt that I am innocent of any guilt regarding this man Jesus' death and all the mass hysteria and insanity that has followed. I'm innocent. It was Passover. I was in Jerusalem. I live in Caesarea, but I go to Jerusalem sometimes during the big feasts to help with crowd control, keep the peace. I don't like crowds. I was there, and early in the morning when it was still dark, one of my guards woke me up. My men know not to come to me, wake me up, interrupt me, whatever that is, without information. And so my guard immediately told me what he knew. The high priests and their whole entourage were were at my door. Jesus of Nazareth had been arrested. He had been tried by the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish court, at night, even though that was against their laws. He had been found guilty of what my guard did not know. But they dragged Jesus to my door and were refusing to come inside my house where I was staying because to do so would make them unclean. See the ridiculousness I deal with? That's the way these Jews are. So I went outside to meet with them in the dark. And I just said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And the high priest and their, their whole group, they all answered back and said, if this man was not doing evil, we would not have brought him to you. We would not have delivered him over to you. And I thought, okay. <laughs> well, that's not what I asked. I asked, what accusation do you bring against this man? They never answered my questions. 
These were the shiftiest people I've ever been around. Always a deception, always an angle with these fools. And so I just said, I was tired. I just had had enough already. And I just said, take him yourself, judge him by your own laws. But the chief priests, they, they said they couldn't do that because they couldn't put anyone to death according to Roman law. And I thought, put someone to death? What, why would we put Jesus to death? Like, he must have taken some dark turn since the last report my men had given me about him. But they were adamant about it, and so I went back into my headquarters, and I brought Jesus before me, and he looked rough. He had been beaten. And I just said the first thing that came to mind. I'd heard the reports. I said, are you the king of the Jews? I figured if Jesus said he was the king of the Jews and he was there to overthrow Rome, it'd be an open and shut case. I'd have him killed right there. I also thought if he'd been going around telling his followers, the masses that had been listening to him the last three years, that he was the king of the Jews, and then I executed him, we might have a, a riot on our hands. So I asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus, he didn't answer me directly with a yes or a no. He asked me a question. He answered my question with a question, which I'm not, I'm not used to at all. He said, do you say this of your own accord, or do others say this to you about me? I thought, who cares? Like, what does that matter? I'm not a Jew. I'm not involved in your religion. I, I, who cares what I believe or who told me what? Like, what does that even matter? So I said that. I said, am I a Jew? It's your nation, your chief priests that have delivered you over to me. What have you done? I still didn't know why he was there, what he had done to cause him to be arrested and tried in the Sanhedrin. I still didn't know why. What, what had he done? And why was he asking me questions? I was the one that was supposed to ask him questions. He was the one on trial here. It was very strange, but Jesus, he... He said he did have a kingdom, but it wasn't of this world. But that if it was of this world, his followers would have fought for him, would have protected him, would have kept him from being arrested. And I thought, is he talking about those 12, 11, if my count is right now, 11 like fishermen money crunchers and street people who follow him around all the time? Is that who he's talking about? Surely he doesn't think that they could fight anybody off, much less me and my men. Surely he's not talking about them. But he said he had a kingdom. So I stayed on that same line of questioning. I said, so you are a king. Jesus, again, didn't answer me directly. It was maddening. He said, you say that I'm a king? And then he talked about how his purpose for coming into this world was to be a witness to the truth, to bear witness to the truth, and that anybody who was of the truth would listen to him, follow him, believe him. <laughs> truth? You see, that's the problem with these Jews. These Jews. 
They think they have the corner on truth. They think their way is the only way. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, I've been a Roman official for a long time. People come to me with questions and needing counsel and advice. I decide verdicts that affect the masses. And after all of that, I can tell you that truth, truth is just a concept. Everybody has their own truth. From my perspective, the only truth that matters, Rome's truth. Hail Caesar. That's all that matters. So he said he had come to bear witness to the truth. And I said, what is truth? You and I both know there is no truth. It's a child's game. I was done playing games. So I let that question hang in the air and I walked out. And I talked to the high priest. I wasn't into keeping this going. I didn't want to keep going in circles with Jesus, but I also didn't find any guilt in him. And so I told the high priest, I don't don't know why we could put him to death. I find no guilt in this man, Jesus, that would deserve death, execution. And I reminded them that every Passover, I have this custom that I release to the Jews a criminal, one of their own. Usually it's somebody who couldn't pay taxes or a a petty thief, something like that. And so I said, can I release to you Jesus, the king of the Jews? The chief priest said, no. They said they wanted me to release Barabbas, who had gotten carried away in a riot and, and killed somebody, a murderer. But I still didn't want to kill Jesus. I still didn't feel like he had done anything wrong to, enough to warrant execution. And I, I still thought if we killed him, all those people who had been listening to him the last few years may rise up and it may cause a problem that I didn't have time to deal with. And so I thought if I, if I beat Jesus severely enough, Maybe the chief priest would see that and relent, and I wouldn't have to actually kill him, and I wouldn't have to deal with his followers coming after me or starting a riot or whatever. And so I had Jesus beaten and humiliated. We fashioned a a crown made of thorns, and my guards jammed it down on his head. My guards gave him a a purple robe, put it on him, and mocked him openly. This went on for hours. And then I brought Jesus back out in front of the chief priests and the crowds. Now Passover was in full swing, so the crowds were huge. And I said again, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? I thought with the crowds there that wisdom would prevail, that cooler heads would prevail, that they would want Jesus to be released. I thought that the masses who had been following Jesus would be there and would rise up and say, no, release Jesus. Because I knew that the only reason the chief priest wanted him dead was because they envied his influence over the people. So I thought that influence would help him in this moment. And 
I had gotten this urgent note from my wife. She said she had had dreams. She'd been plagued by dreams all night about this Jesus. She said I should have nothing to do with him. She called him a righteous man. It freaked me out. And so I just wanted to get Jesus' blood off of my hands at any, at any cost. But the chief priests and their group, the elders, were just working the crowd against Jesus this whole time. I asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd, to my surprise, answered in unison and yelled back, Barabbas! I couldn't understand it. Why would they want Barabbas released and not Jesus, their teacher, this guy who had this huge following, from all accounts, an innocent man? I didn't get it. I still didn't want to kill Jesus, though, so I said, what shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? Again, to my surprise, these Jews, this crowd, answered in unison and said, crucify him. What? What had Jesus done to deserve such hatred from the masses like this to not only kill him, but to kill him in a way that was horrific? What could he have possibly done to deserve that? But the crowd, they just kept chanting over and over and over, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I couldn't believe it. How could they let their leaders deceive them like this? They were such a fickle people. I was at a loss. If I released Jesus in that moment, I would definitely start a riot. But I still thought he was innocent. And I still worried that his followers may do something that would cause a bigger headache for Rome, for Caesar, for me later. And I had this dream for my wife. And, and then somebody said that Jesus had called himself the son of God. And others believed. And I, I'm not a religious man, but I believe in the gods. Everybody does. I mean, what if Jesus was one of the gods or one of the gods' sons or a representative sent by one of the gods to Rome? Like, I didn't want, I didn't want to get the wrath of a god coming towards me and my family and the Roman Empire. I, I didn't want that. And so... As the crowd screamed, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I had one of my men go get me a basin of water. And I washed my hands in front of the whole crowd. And I said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. If they wanted to kill their rabbi, this innocent teacher, who there, there would be king, if they wanted to do it, it's on them. I didn't have anything to do with that. I'm a military man. I don't do religion. They want to do whatever they want. That's on them. It has nothing to do with me. I washed my hands of the whole thing. But I couldn't get it out of my head what Jesus had said about truth, proclaiming the truth, and how People of the truth would listen to him and know him. And so I admit, I, I asked myself, is there such a thing as truth? No. 
There's not. Jesus may have seemed like a king in some ways. But I only have room in my life for one king. Hail Caesar. So this king, he would have to die. But I was so haunted by my encounter with Jesus and so angry at the Jews who had put me in this position and deceived the people that I wrote this sign that ended up on the cross that Jesus was crucified on. It just said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Everybody saw it, and the chief priests and the elders, they didn't like what I had written. They said, I shouldn't have written King of the Jews. I should have written, this man said that he was King of the Jews. But I thought it was more than just what he said. And honestly, anything I can do to make them angry, I'm happy to do it. And I wanted to be done with this whole thing. So I just said, what I have written, I have written. I washed my hands of this. I was done. I hoped I would never hear the name Jesus again. That he would die and fade into obscurity. That there would be no more riots, no more complaints, no more dreams, no more gods. But you know, that's not what happened. I got some terrifying reports of what took place at Jesus' crucifixion. They said that, the, that everywhere went dark, that the ground shook, that rocks split. I felt that in my headquarters. I heard that somehow the, the, the veil in the temple, the Jewish temple, had rent in two, had, had been ripped in two when Jesus was crucified. And he didn't die like most criminals we crucify. He, he seemed to choose when he died. He said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. One of my centurions who was there in that moment actually fell to his knees and said, this must be the son of God. It was crazy. And it didn't stop there. I guess that's why you have me here talking to you. It didn't stop. This new Jewish sect called the way. In Antioch, they call them little Christ or, or Christians. It sprung up. And it just took off like crazy. And they just believe one thing, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's the Messiah they've been waiting for, the king, the savior of the whole world, they say. And they've grown by thousands upon thousands every month, every week, it seems like. Everywhere is in an uproar over this new Jewish sect, this new religion. I tried to snuff them out in Judea. I tried to take care of it for Caesar. I tried to kill them all, to persecute them enough where they wouldn't want to talk about this Jesus anymore. I was done with Jesus. I had already washed my hands of him. I tried to snuff them out, but it only served to spread them out. Now they're all over the Roman Empire. 
Everybody's worried about it. Caesar is worried about it. And it all started right here in my jurisdiction. I tried to do everything I could to keep it from happening. I knew that if we killed Jesus, his followers would do something. I just didn't know it was this. I didn't expect this. I thought maybe a riot. I know how to deal with riots. I'm a military man. I don't know how to deal with a new religion. Let a, let a religious expert do that. I washed my hands of this then, and I'm still washing my hands of this. This has nothing to do with me. I have one king and one king only. Hail Caesar. To our knowledge, Pilate never changed. And that's sad because he never repented. He never followed Jesus Christ. He asked Jesus what is truth. But by all accounts, he never found the truth. And as far as we can tell, he is in what Scripture calls Gehenna, the lake of fire, or more commonly, hell. That's the sad news of the story. That's his reality, his spiritual reality. The guy had an incredible opportunity, don't you think? He was face to face with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, yet he missed that opportunity. Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no truth outside of Jesus, is there? That's what we believe as believers in Christ. It's what Scripture says. Truth has a name, and its name is Jesus. So Pilate was asking the truth about truth. Isn't that crazy? And he still missed it right in front of him. The fact is, though, is that not everyone follows the truth. Not everyone accepts the truth. Not everyone believes the truth. Many, many do not. And because of that, many will end up just like Pilate, spending eternity without God, far from him with no hope. There is only one truth and a thousand lies. Only one way that leads to God. And the reality is today, is I look at this, is either Jesus was either the truth or he was a liar. There is no in-between because he himself said this, this, this passage, and he goes even further when he says, Jesus says, I'm the true way, the truth, and the life. And this is what he added to it. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no plan B. Pilate, though, thought he could pass the buck. In the gospel account, you can see he's trying to figure out who Jesus is. He doesn't really think he is who the Jewish leaders thought he was, guilty of death, but at the same time, 
He caves. He gives in to the crowd. We see that. Because he takes a basin of water and symbolically washes his hands. And then he tries to say this. He says, I am innocent of this man's blood. You guys are the ones at fault. That's kind of what he had to say. It's a paraphrase. Pilate tried to wash his hands of Jesus. You see, it's impossible to wash your hands of Jesus. Your decision about Jesus is the only one that really matters out of all the decisions in life that you could possibly make because eternity hangs in the balance. See, that's not the way it works in our world because his blood is on all of our hands. Our sin put him on the cross and to try to wash your hands of Jesus to avoid the decision is to make a decision. Like Pilate, if you say, if you say, I'm just going to wash my hands, I'm not going to make a decision, you're making a decision to reject God, to reject Jesus Christ. There is but one truth. Everything else, every other way, every other action, every other decision, every other truth is a lie. There's just one truth, Jesus Christ. So the question for you and for me today is this, that comes out of all of this, this encounter with Pilate. Is your truth the truth? Is your truth Jesus? And if not, I hope today that you will make it so that Jesus will become the truth that you follow, the person that you follow, because it makes every difference in your life and in your world. I hope you'll stop running from making that decision and you will decide today to say yes to him. In just a moment, I ask the, the worship team to go ahead and prepare and to come on the stage. They can do that right now. And in, in a moment, we're going to pray. And when we do so, we're going to have our prayer team uh, workers, as soon as we start praying, to go to the sides. And when they do that, what I would ask you to do is this is what I want you to do today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not asking you to do anything except this. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, if you want to talk to someone about it, you need to go to one of these prayer team workers and you need to ask them, say, hey, I want to know about following Jesus Christ and they can lead you through that process. They can pray with you. They can encourage you. They can help you take that next step that you need to take in your life. Because it's not about just making a, a split-second decision, saying, yeah, I want to do this. It's about making a commitment that lasts all of your life. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Something that sadly Pilate never did, as far as we know. So let's pray. God, we come to you today. We've experienced in a dramatic way the life of someone in the scripture that encountered Jesus Christ, who had a take on Jesus Christ. His name was Pilate. In all the, this series, we've encountered different people that came, that encountered you, that encountered your son. Every one of those persons, the encounter changed their lives. But sadly, in scripture, 
reality set in today that shows that even when we encounter Jesus, even when we might come to church every Sunday morning and sit in a row, or we read the Bible, or we go to small group, or do any of those things, just doing those things does not make you a Christian, does not make you a follower of Jesus Christ. It does not make you someone who, who, who follows the truth. What makes you a follower of Christ is to accept the truth as the way that you're going you're gonna to follow your life and, and lead and, and follow after him. It means saying yes to you, Jesus, and saying yes to you, uh, not just once, but every day of our life and striving to be the person who would, who would honor you, God. We will do it imperfectly. Every one of us who are believers do it imperfectly every day. But we have to have a starting point, and that starting point is when we say yes to you the first time. Yes, God, I'm a sinner. Yes, God, I need to repent. Please forgive me for my sin. Yes, God, I want to follow you every day of my life from this point on. Yes, God, thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace that you will forgive me for all the stuff that's in my past, maybe even just my recent past. We have a God that will do that, who wants to open his arms to you, who wants to be the truth in your life. So this morning, in just a moment as we sing, I would ask you, if you've never done that before, if you would like to say yes to Jesus Christ, that you, even as the song is being sung and played, that you would go to one of the folks on the side that you would talk to them about the decision you need to make, the commitment you need to make to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, to accept the truth. God, we, we pray today that you would pierce the hearts of each one of us, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll uh, sing, okay? But if you made a decision today of any type, if you need to talk to one of our prayer team workers, that you would go and do that while the song's going on. I don't want you to wait till the end of the song. You can do it during the song, okay? And then uh, for those of you who are there who need to make have someone pray with you about anything in your life, these, these prayer team people will be here for that this morning. I hope you'll do that as well. I hope this week in your life groups that you'll rough, wrestle with the question, have I made Jesus Christ the truth in my life? and what that means. And if you're not part of a life group, that you would go to the connection desk this morning and talk to someone there about getting in a life group where you can begin to wrestle together as believers in Christ or as people who are on the journey toward Christ to, um, to, to really build community there and to expand upon what we do on Sunday mornings. That's our purpose of life groups, to build community, to uh, apply God's word to our lives, to, to serve together. Uh, to do all these things in our community as well. And then remember, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, which most of you probably are here in church this morning, you have a mission this week. You know what your mission is? To share the truth with whoever you encounter along the way, whether it be community people in your community at work, uh, family members that don't know Christ, to begin to pray about it and let God work in you to share the truth because that is why God has left us here, not to take up space and use resources, okay? 
It's, it's, it's to be people who share the truth with others. So I challenge you to do that.